Divorce TV. It's Friday night. Uh, soon, in fact, I am going to be moving the show to probably Thursdays next week because I think Friday night is a bit mean to drag people out on a Friday night. So uh, a couple of interviews today are, for that reason alone, recorded. Not, not that that matters, but it is nice to have people live. Also, I quite like my th Friday nights back now, now that uh, lockdown is over. So we're going to have an expert interview with Henry Elliston talking about green finance. So you've got this opportunity when you are sorting out your finances and pensions to think about the greener options. So we're going to have a chat about that. Uh, we have a shared story also from Henry and giving some insights into some of the uh, quirks of some of his clients that could be useful for you to know about. And we'll end with the lovely Debbie is going to a recording of Debbie doing her her healing because uh, we were hoping to have someone fresh, but unfortunately the time differences got the better of them. So, uh, but we've always got Debbie as our backup, so that's good. So let's whiz on with the news. In Al Jazeera, it says that Abu Dhabi issues law on divorce, inheritance for non-Muslims. Now, new rules governing divorce, inheritance and child custody set to provide flexible, advanced judicial mechanism for non-Muslims, local media say. This is a big thing, right? The capital of the United Arab Emirates has issued new rules governing divorce, inheritance and child custody for non-Muslims in Abu Dhabi, the country's state-run news agency reported. The report on Sunday by the WAM news agency said Abu Dhabi would create a new court to handle these cases, which will be held in Arabic and English, to be better understood by the Emirates' vast foreign worker population. Change in child custody will allow parents to share joint custody of their children, WAM reported. The law, which consists of 20 articles, also introduces the idea of civil marriage, allows wills to be drawn up granting inheritance to whomever a person chooses and deals with paternity issues. This is massive if you, especially if you would want to get divorced in, um, in Abu Dhabi. It is set to provide a flexible and advanced judicial mechanism for the determination of personal status disputes for non-Muslims, the Abu Dhabi Judicial Department said, according to the national newspaper. Abu Dhabi is one of seven sheikdoms that make up the UAE and the new law affects only this sheikdom. While the oil-rich emirate is the capital of the nation, Abu Dhabi's population is dwarfed by that of neighbouring Dubai. The new law comes after authorities last year said they would overhaul the country's Islamic personal laws, allowing unmarried couples to cohabitate, loosening alcohol restrictions and criminalising the so-called honour killings a widely criticised tribal custom, custom in which a male relative may evade prosecution for assaulting a woman he claims has dishonoured her family. So this is all really good news. At the time, the government said the legal reforms were part of efforts to improve legislation and the investment climate in the country, as well as to consolidate tolerance principles. Abu Dhabi also ended its alcohol licence system in September 2020. The UAE as a whole in September this year announced yet another plan to stimulate its economy and liberalise stringent residency rules for foreigners. In January, the UAE announced it was opening a path to citizenship for select foreign nationals who make up nearly 80% of the population. 
The broadening of personal freedoms reflects the changing profile of a country that has sought to bill itself as a skyscraper-studded destination for Western tourists, fortune seekers and businesses. The changes also reflect the efforts of the Emirates' rulers to keep pace with a rapidly changing society at home. However, traditional Islamic values remain strong in the Federation. The roughly one million Emiratis in the UAE, a hereditarily ruled country, long criticised for its suppression of dissent, closely tow the government line. Political parties and labour unions remain illegal. Now over to Glasgow, and we're not talking about the climate, we're talking about a Glasgow landlord followed solicitor and loitered outside his home over eye-watering divorce bill. Now I hope none of you have been tempted to do this. A Glasgow landlord who followed a solicitor and loitered outside his home after getting an eye-watering divorce bill has appeared before the council's licensing committee. Alan Mackin, 66, rents out rooms at 11 Edwin Street in Govan and applied for a three-year house in multiple occupation licence. Police Sergeant David Gilmore told a council meeting last week how Mr Mackin had been in dispute with a Glasgow company. Sergeant Gilmore said Mr Mackin repeatedly attended at the home address of one of the partners of the firm and loitered outside. Councillors heard how Mr Mackin stood in front of the law firm partner as he tried to leave, making abusive remarks about another colleague. Sergeant Gilmore said Mr Mackin repeatedly walked past the victim's house and ran past him in the street, acting in an intimidating manner. He was fined £750 at court in 2019 over the charge of engaging in a course of conduct causing another person fear and alarm, which occurred in 2017. Representing Mr Mackin, Archie McIver said the background to the conviction is that it arose from a divorce action in which Mr Mackin was involved. Speaking at the Licensing and Regulatory Committee, he said Mr Mackin had been left with an eye-watering bill from the firm of solicitors who carried out work for his client. Describing his client as having a good reputation, Mr McIver said he had been a landlord for 30 years with 10 flats and has never had any issues. Committee Chair Councillor Alex Wilson, SNP, said the facts of the matter are he behaved in a manner which is unbecoming of anyone, to be fair. Councillor Wilson added, we have to make sure this is a one-off situation. Has Mr Mackin learnt from this incident? Does he have anger management issues? Is this likely to be repeated? Describing his client as a no-spring chicken, Mr McIver said the offence occurred back in 2017, so we are four and a half years down the line with no indication of any repeat behaviour. Explaining how his firm has represented Mr Mackin for many years, he said he has never caused us any problems during that time. Clearly, as you appreciate, our fees are exceptionally reasonable and clearly won't cause him any issues. So no stalking lawyers if you don't like the size of their bills. Just come and see us and we can save you having to get in that position in the first place. The Tribune. Rewald Pindi sees sharp rise in divorce cooler cases. According to data, 10,312 cases of divorce, cooler, maintenance, guardianship were filed in the family courts in the district from January the 1st to November the 9th. Some 445 women were issued divorce decrees, while the guardianship of 272 children was given to their mothers. 
the family courts issued orders to 41 wives to reconcile with their husbands after settling affairs, while 2,135 women opted for free will marriage during the same period. Some 331 married women took shelter at Darul Aman, while 201 men also sought protection in shelter homes. Around 70% of divorce cases were of women who had solemnised the free will marriage. Some of these women said big claims were made before the marriage, but after it the husband turns out to be unemployed, lazy and an and assaulter. They said that the attitude of their in-laws was also bitter because of the free will marriage and such women start missing their parents' homes. Currently 13,000 cases were pending adjudication in the family courts in the Rawalpindi district. Lawyers said both families add fuel to the fire in such cases of free will marriages. Two women, including A Asterix and N Asterix, who were seeking cooler from their husbands after three months of marriage, said that their husbands made tall claims and fake promises before the marriage. They later learnt that their husbands lived in rented houses and used their friends' motorcycles. So we're going to talk a little bit of green stuff now. I asked Henry to come on. He, he came in a little bit earlier. I interviewed him then. And it's about how there's this opportunity when you're splitting pensions and doing anything around the finances, really around divorce, to do what perhaps we all should have done a long time ago and think about more ethical and environmentally friendly ways to invest your money. So Henry Elliston, you are, we're going to talk about something very topical, which is not just money, it's about green money and how mm. the divorce is an opportunity with redistribution of the finances to actually think about what you're doing with that money in ways that are more ethical and more and better for the planet. So we're going to little, have a little chat about how you can help people uh, make that journey they don't have to be getting divorced but if they are uh, it's, it's, a, it's especially a, you know something good can come out of all of this so uh, I'll, uh, you take the floor what kind of things can you do with with uh, helping people to be a bit more green when it comes to their finances it's, it's a really big thing this now and it's and it's happened I mean especially this year it's we've, we've noticed it just at work talking to people coming up to us and asking about it but probably over the last two or three years, it's been a thing. So this term ESG, which is ethical, social and governance, um, is being banded around. So um, fund managers now looking to invest with with an emphasis on the ethical, um, sustainable and the corporate governance sides within the companies that they invest in. Um, and I think with, with COP26 going on, perhaps the corporate, the corporate governance side is very important, but it's the ethical and the green side that, that's, that's really going to take the forefront at the moment. Um, and it's been fascinating. I mean, seriously, the, 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 in terms of money going into these sorts of funds, um, it was pretty much a flat line from sort of like 20, 2008 until maybe 2016, 2017. And ever since then, the values have pretty much doubled every year. There's something, there's an extraordinary figure like 30 trillion now invested in, in these sort of funds. So it's so it's a, it's becoming a really big thing, and that's really great because it means fund managers are now looking at these investments and designing their portfolios with these ideas in mind, and that's great because it's making loads and loads of choice available to consumers. And whereas in the past they might have been stuck with just sort of one UK 
ethical fund, they've now got a range of funds to choose from, um, which is which is tremendous. Um, and I think in, in the past, there was always this concern as well, that by investing ethically, you were narrowing the pool of investments so much that actually you were just going to, you, you were doing all right by the planet, but you were just going to get really rubbish returns in your investments. And interestingly now, I think it's, I think in some, to some degree, that's almost turned tables. Not that there's so much more, but the really well governed and managed companies have ethical standards that they set aside and that drives people to investing in them. And in turn, that actually bolsters the share price. So the share price goes up. So you get this really nice sort of virtuous circle um, at play. And so you get good returns on your investments and a kind of warm feeling in your tummy that you're doing the right thing for the planet all at the same time. What Perfect. And I, wish, I guess we should uh, clarify that with ethical investments, that can be different things for different people. But what we're specifically talking about now is not investing in fossil fuels, because that's the that's the biggie. Um, and is it true to say that if you don't want to invest in fossil fuels, then there actually is, is still a good choice out there. And these are funds that are worth investing in. Again, it's quite tricky because, as you say, it, ethical means different things to different people. Um, so whereas one man's, I'm never going to invest in Shell, for example, another man might say, yeah, but Shell are putting up loads of wind farms and creating a huge amount of, of green and renewable um, energy sources. So where, where, where's the problem? And, 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 it's, and it, that's the really tricky bit about ethical investing, because, of course, a fund manager can't survey all their potential investors and then weed out all the different funds. And so if you're, if you're dead set in, for example, saying, I'm not going to have any fossil fuels, there'll be no BP, there'll be no shell. I mean, you know, there are loads of other gas and oil producers, you know, around, it becomes that much harder. There are ways and means of doing it, but you won't be interested in the much larger ethical funds that, that, that are available. You'll be looking at more niche funds that are out there. And, you know, I mean, some of those niche funds might be really good. They t they're typically a little bit more expensive, um, but it's but it is possible. It's just a little bit harder to do. Um, so yeah, and interesting. I was just I comment on the fact that, that we were talking about this as part of a divorce forum, and um, and and of course when when we get to this when you get to this stage of sort of sharing you know marital assets around and redistributing pensions and so forth, it's such a great time actually to to, to have a think about this. Um, one of the first things that we will do is we'll talk to a client about the level of risk that they want to take in their portfolio. We might describe how much risk they should be taking in their portfolio as well. But we'll always ask them what their views are on, on ethical investments. And do they have a particular desire to omit one style or one variety of company from their portfolio? And if they do, that's fantastic because it means that we can then go away and design the portfolio with that in mind. Um, with pretty much a clean slate, because if you get a pension sharing order, all you're getting is a lump of cash coming over into your pension. So we can do with it whatever you, the client, wants us to do with it, within reason. I mean, um, there's some, <laughs> some investments we can't go to, but, but certainly within reason, certainly looking towards that ethical side. It's, 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 um, it's a fantastic opportunity um, to, to, to build the portfolio in that way. And just just to go back on what you're saying, because it is a difficult area with the the ethical side. So say someone's just got divorced, they've got a a pension sharing order, and they're saying to you, right, help me invest this. Um, just to be clear, if 
and I say this because I know that you know, many councils have divested their or are divesting their pension funds gradually, it's not always an overnight, away from fossil fuels. But if you've got the opportunity to start fresh and you go, I just don't want that. I don't want any company who who, who does that. And and yes, that is going to put some limitations on. But is it true to say that now it's not like it was maybe 20 years ago, there is still more choice? It's It might be, as you said, might be a little bit higher cost initially but they're you know they're looking for long-term returns so ultimately if they're investing in things that are sustainable logically you'd think that that would be quite good rather than investing in something that's already had its you know is is on the way out (laughs) yeah look i mean i think you can and with the councils it's somewhat easier right because rather than talking about a two hundred and fifty thousand pound pension pot they're talking about a 250 million pound pension pot and so, whereas with your or my pension, we might go and invest it in a, in a number of funds because we want the diversification within our portfolio, a council will invest in the shares of the companies it chooses to invest in. And so from a council-led point of view, it becomes that much easier to drop Shell, to drop BP, to drop Teller Oil from their, from, from their portfolios, and then to reinvest in you know, the latest green venture it's a little bit harder on a on an individual level if the truth be told but there are some funds that really do take it take uh, take that ethical investing really to heart and they drive it right the way through their portfolios and so so it's definitely possible i mean it's it's definitely possible and there there are options out there um which yeah which 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 work um and will assuage the conscious of of even the, the most uh, green and ethical man or woman out there. That's good. Well, somebody's got to do something, haven't they? <laughs> but, uh, uh, and yeah, it's good to it's good to hear that it's yeah. Sorry, just to go on, but yeah. it is interesting because there's this there's this there's this new concept now of greenwashing, and so and and this is the idea that that because this this you know ESG investing is becoming so big because so much money is going towards these funds that companies are recognizing this um and they they're going crikey we need to show our green credentials otherwise these fund managers aren't going to invest into our company um and they need the they need the the cash going into their company and so they the term is to greenwash it which is essentially to make themselves look far greener than they actually are so they'll go around going you know i used that example earlier of shell building wind farms so shell will go out and say and I'm not bad mouthing Shell, I don't know enough about their business to it, but they'll go out and build a wind farm and go, look at our great wind farm, we're brilliant, we're brilliant, we're brilliant. And then they'll sort of sweep the, you know, the oil disaster under the table. So the point being that it's one has to be really careful and do an awful and do that your research and due diligence into what you're investing in. Um, because there will be companies that 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 tell you what you want to hear, but aren't necessarily doing what you think they might be doing. So anyone who comes to you, they're, they're going to have the full choice, whatever they want to do. They're the client. But if they go, I want you to work a bit harder, Henry, and make sure that I don't want greenwash. I want the real deal. You're going to make that happen for them. We will endeavour to do so, yes. Yeah, yeah no, we will. I mean, that's what we do. So we're independent. So we look around and find whatever's best for the client. And I think that is key is that independence allows you to do that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite. Um, yes, it does. So... Uh, uh, and, and it is important. And 
I mean, I, I, I live in Oxford and it's really interesting noting the difference in, um, in attitudes around the country. So my clients in London, and it was massive generalization, I'm more than willing to accept. My clients in London are very much less bothered by the ideas of ethical investing than the dons of Oxford. Um, and whether or not that it's slightly more liberal here or it's quite left-wing in London, but it's just the way it is. And our headquarters are up in, in Oakham, in, in, in the Shires up in Rutland. And I talk to my colleagues up there and, you know, there's quite a lot of old farmers up there and they, they just want to invest in oil companies because it's the companies that they know, they understand, they pay the dividends and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a really fascinating thing. I suspect over time, even the farmers will be brought around to ethical investing because, you know, well, they'll see droughts in the fields or um, oil prices going up and, and so on and so forth. And so it will, it will make sense for them as well. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. But the main thing is they people, you've got independence and people can have, you know, the real deal if they want it. Went a bit wobbly at the end, but I was just saying goodbye. So, yeah, ethical investing. Think about what you want. Uh, when So when I, uh, some people often talk to Henry, obviously they're focused mainly on how do we do the best split, but don't just stop there. Like, make, take that opportunity. And I just wanted to have a, a little, uh, not nearly a lesson, but I wanted to bring this up because it's something that comes up quite a lot when I'm talking to people, especially people I'm talking to, um, I've been doing that a lot recently because I've been filling up the next divorce, uh, divorce financial workshop. And it's this balance between not causing a fuss, um, but also getting what's fair. So it's not uncommon for the, uh, often the wife, but not, not, not exclusively, who just doesn't want to sort of poke the tiger, doesn't want to cause a fuss, maybe looking to get things settled in mediation. And that's all wonderful. Um, and they're very conscious. Quite often it's that they're very conscious uh, that their husband's got a pension and he does not, you know, just don't want to talk about the pension. So it's very understandable that they go, well, I just want to keep the house. But the downside of that is that they've got to maintain the house and maybe they've got some children to bring up and maybe they haven't they haven't got anything to retire with so it, it it's not greedy to look at what you actually need going forwards to you know, bring up the kids they might want to go to university and you it's very smart and and i'm giving you all permission now to actually have that discussion henry obviously is the ideal person to have that person that discussion with and to talk about what do I actually need going forwards? Because just taking, spitting the pension doesn't necessarily mean it's a disaster for your spouse. Sometimes it can be that, um, that some money can be taken out of the house through a remortgage, say so you get some cash, which otherwise you wouldn't have because you're keeping the family home. So don't assume that it's gonna make things worse for your spouse and that it's you being difficult. It's very sensible to get the right information. And quite often, uh, Henry and you can come up with ways of doing those things that aren't actually necessarily gonna be a disaster for your ex and that could actually work out better for them. Okay, so bear that in mind. So our shared story uh, today is on very much on that theme and again with Henry and, and he's talking about a couple of things that he's found with clients that, uh, yeah, you make, make sure you don't do this when you go and see him. 
you, you mentioned already how often a women will sometimes sort of dumb down what they should be having, basically, and not really be thinking long term, which is one of the reasons I send so many of them to talk to you so that they can open up their mind because I go, you've got children, you need to think about the future, go and talk to Henry. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you notice uh, clients, um, male and female, sometimes kind of fall, habits they fall into, behaviours that, that, that are quite common and that is useful for people to be aware of so they're thinking, oh, I hope I'm not doing that as well. They always underestimate how much they spend. Mm. I have never had uh, an expenditure form come back to me and then gone through it with the client and, and, and it be anywhere close to correct. And, and, I, and I'll tell you that the biggest telltale for all of this is you have a, you have a salary, let's say, of £3,000 per month. Um, and then you come to me with your expenditure form and you show me that you only spend £2,000 a month. I'm like, that's brilliant. In which case, you should be saving £1,000 a month. So where's this big savings account that you've got? And then they have, I've got a credit card. It's got £2,000 on it. I'm like, that's that <laughs> something's not going on <laughs> right here <laughs> so, so that <laughs> universally is what happens so it's really important to to get on that old spreadsheet before ideally before they come and, and talk to you even if they can and just or certainly after that first conversation and get those figures and be really realistic about what they're actually spending i think that's true we all like to delude ourselves <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm as bad as everyone else. I know it, but it's but it but it is so. Especially when you're trying to negotiate, yeah, an income from your ex um, to support you. And there's no point in saying I live on three thousand pounds when really you live on five thousand mm. pounds, or to, because you're then going to go. I need spousal maintenance of this much, but actually you probably should be asking for spousal maintenance of of, of, of much mm. more. The pot's only so big. I grant you as well, but. But also, it's, it's about need. It's not about how much you could get off the other person. It's about what do you actually need to bring up that family, for example. And it's it's just a practical dis, a process where it's important to take the emotion out of the whole thing. And anything else they do that, or is that that that, that the main that, the main that's thing? The, that's, the, that's, that's the biggie. The that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Henry, for your time. And um, and yeah, and uh, good luck. I hope you get lots more takers for the ethical uh, splitting. And I wish you'd I wish you'd talk to our local county council because they seem to be having a real problem in divesting. Apparently, it's much more complicated than you said. <laughs> I'll dance. I, sh- I am definitely. I'm actually going to suggest that. <laughs> Henry says it's not that difficult at all. <laughs> I think there's a, a lack of will, shall we say. That's really thank you ever so much, Henry. I really appreciate it. All right. Nice to see you, Susie. I'll see you soon. Bye. And with our best way to divorce.online, for those of you who already haven't got yourself the app downloaded and particularly I'm talking now for the vast amount every day I've got people downloading this app so there's a lot of people and you will get access to this show so three divorce facts do make sure that you've checked them out they're completely free and it summarizes in three reasonably short facts in a video Uh, you can watch it on the bus three things that you really really should be thinking about when you divorce I'll probably cover them maybe over the next um a few weeks as well but do do make use of the resources that are there especially the free ones 
And we're now just going to have uh, Debbie's going to round off the show for us with a lovely healing. It's a little bit fuddy quality because I need to get a new fresh video of her soon, but uh, the content's still good. And if everyone would please close their eyes, and I'm going to put each one of us under a shower of universal love so that you can be washed down, cleaned down, inside and out and feel that shower on you. And now we're going to imagine a white light sword that is going to come through the top of your head, your top chakra. And this white light is going to regenerate all your chakras as it goes down through you. So let's start with the very top chakra. And this is your spiritual chakra purple om and let this light regenerate it make sure that the color is true that it's spinning correctly around this white light and then when you feel that it's had been regenerated enough let the light just move down to the next chakra which is your third eye and which is a dark blue and let that regenerate it needs to be spinning nicely not all over the place good color, a true color, and let the white light make it into a true color. And then the light goes further down into your throat. And this chakra is for peace. And it is a light blue. And see that spinning. And feel the peace that it generates. Going further down, the light is going to enter your heart. And this chakra is green. And further down to your solar plexus, which is your power, your connection with others. And this is gold. And let it go further into your abdomen. And the next chakra is orange, and that is for relationships. Let it spin. And now further down to your base chakra, which is red and make sure that red is a nice true red no no um, dingy spots no dark places in it and see that it spins correctly and now the light is going to go through you and out and start pooling around your feet and it's going to become a large puddle and as it comes through you even more it's going to develop into a lake. And even more, it's going to go as far as the eye can see. And whatever is in that pathway is going to be converted to the light. So all the dark little bits and pieces can be converted to the light. And now we're going to take our bazookas out, our mental bazookas out and aim them at the dark cloud hovering above your head and see that black cloud shatter and splinter and leave you and what is there in its stead and we'll take the bazooka again 
and aim it at the black cloud behind the small of your back and see that evaporate. And now we are going to peel ourselves like a grape of the things that encompass us and are at tight bonds around us. So we will start off with betrayal. Let us peel ourselves of betrayal. And again, peel yourself of anger. And peel yourself of despair. And how about fear? Fear of the future, fear what's going to happen now. And how about hatred? Heal yourself off. And I'm sure you can all think of one or two that you might be carrying. Would you do that for yourselves now? Okay. Right, we are now going to reconnect ourselves with the Creator. So taking the energy from your heart up through the top of your head and send it out to the Creator. And the Creator is going to send back to you the Creator's energy through the top of your head, down through all the chakras to the base, and then back up to the heart. Breathe it in. And we're going to do the same to our souls, taking the energy from the heart up through the top of the head and off to the soul. And then from the soul, back to you, down through from the top of your head to the base chakra and back up to the heart. Breathe it in. And now repeat three times. I reclaim my power. I reclaim my power. I reclaim my power. And we're going to put as the last thing, the shamanic circles of protections around us. So seven circles, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Read them all in. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. And on the battlefield of family separation in the war of divorce, always make peace your weapon of choice.